0: Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers and I'll be bringing a special message today on What is Christmas? That's the name of the series I'm going to continue doing for the rest of this month in view of the fact that I'm going to take a break from the book of Revelation. Uh, It seems like there's just been so hard to go through this and so so negative it comes across. There's so much judgment. I think it's good to take a break during this Christmas season. I'll resume Again, the studies of the book of Revelation, and we were in chapter 16, and I'll resume that the first of the year. But for right now, I want to focus on what is Christmas, and I want to take several weeks to do that. I will be bringing several different messages, but today I want to begin with a, a couple of verses I wanted to read for you. So our context today is found in Matthew 121 and uh, Matthew 1.23, and then I'm also going to look at Isaiah 9.6. But I'm only going to hit those in part, is that we just kind of give little devotional thoughts for Christmas. Uh, These won't be as long as a normal podcast, but they'll be, at least I don't think they will, I never know. Uh, But we are going to uh, see what we can glean from this. And may you be encouraged by this and, and find true hope in the meaning of Christmas as we work our way through it. So I want to read a couple of verses for you. First is Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. Uh, the Word of God says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I'm entitling this one, uh, And his name shall be Jesus. And you think about this, you think about why did God use that name? What is there in this name? God chose the name Jesus for a son because its basic meaning defined the fundamental Overarching purpose for the sun's coming to earth. There was God had a plan, God had a purpose, and all of this is revealed, I think, in, uh, all through the scriptures we find it. But uh, I, I want to specifically look in the next couple of weeks about getting more from these names and getting more from just what people would look at today as as Christmas by simply presenting the title, What is Christmas? and then it should have anywhere from four to six to eight different. Uh, subtitles under that. And so this first subtitle is called, And His Name Shall Be Jesus. And in looking at this, it's not hard for us to realize that in our culture today and in our godless society today, we need to hear more about the Word of God. We need to hear more about the name of God. We still tend to hear the name Jesus, even though evil is such an amazingly uh, rising influence in our society. It seems like everybody's angry. and Every night you begin to see things on the news where just evil and violence in public places and no one can do anything about it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a surprisingly frequency of it is, is, is shocking. But it's tragic that the world has turned the Lord's name into a blasphemous exclamation. Uh, but it should not surprise us, but still... During this Christmas season, I have two different thoughts on this. One is, I'm surprised that anybody keeps the, the actual Christmas season uh, as it is. I'm surprised you find any manger scenes. I'm surprised you hear the, the name of Christ at all. And I know it's going to become less and less. But even for Christians, we, we realize that the name of Christ is, is special for us. There's a significance. There is a, a uniqueness about it. Yet, we find so many people blaspheming God, using it in in ways that is not uh, proper to use his name. But you see, Satan can't erase the truth about Christ. But he will happily settle for turning the Savior's life into a myth and his name into an expletive. And I get that little sentence from another writer. But even among professing believers, the Lord's name is used with a kind of casualness or, or familiar That overlooks the significance. For example, what significance would there really be in the name Jesus if you were to be asked that question? Uh, What was the last time, or when was the last time you considered what it meant for God to name His Son? Did you say, well, uh, you know, Matthew named it? Well, no, Matthew didn't. This is the Word of God, and if the Word of God is true, and it is true, and it better be true, then we see that God is the author of all Scripture, and He has. He is the one that put the names and the words in the prophet's mouths. He is the one who has named his son. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. With the celebration of our Savior's birth really just around the corner, at least it should be a celebration of our Savior's birth, we, we don't always see that, but which is why I'm doing this series. I just want us for this one few, for this few moments to consider the meaning of the name the Father gave his son and it's Jesus God named chose the name Jesus for a son because it fits his purpose. Jesus is the Greek for the Hebrew Joshua or Joshua. Each of these words means Jehovah. Uh, or we get from the Old Testament, it would be Yahweh. And it means, we'll save." the baby Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and gave birth to a plan of God which would grow up to testify to the Father's plan of salvation and would himself be that salvation. By his own death, his sacrificial death on the cross and triumphant resurrection from the grave, He would save all those who are drawn from sin to repentance and who receive faith to basically embrace his atoning work. And that that is something to to think about. The, the, The very name of Jesus ought to be special for us. It ought not to be spoken so casually. It ought to have true significance to us. I want to give you another verse. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says this, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Well, this is another name, but it's very similar. It's almost the same name. But the name Emmanuel is the very heart of the Christmas story, and we're going to be looking at this in and out through the next couple of weeks. It is a Hebrew name that means literally God with us. It is a promise of the incarnate deity. It's the promise that God himself would appear as a baby in in human form. It is God becoming flesh. It is God with us. This baby who was to be born would be God himself in human form. That's an amazing thing to look at. In fact, I'm so glad for Christmas season, because if we didn't really have the Christmas season, and believe me, I hear my share of people I hear my share of, not my people, I hear a good share of people talking about we need to do away with Christmas. It's, it's lost its meaning and I hear all of that. But for us that are believers, it's at least a time when even believers are, are thinking or it's brought to our mind the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, if we could condense all the truths of Christmas into only three words, these would be the words that we could reduce it to. God with us. We tend to focus our attention on Christmas or on the baby, but the greater truth of the holiday is really this baby and his deity. This baby is God. This baby is so much more than just a baby in a manger. Now the world can celebrate and use signs of a baby in a manger because it's no problem for them. It's not threatening for them. It's not conviction for them. But you take that same baby and grow him up and put him on a cross, that becomes offensive. They can't deal with that. Oh, they can deal with a cute little baby in a manger, but they can't deal with God hanging on a cross. More astonishing, I think, than a baby in the manger is the truth, that this promised baby is, and now think about this, he's omnipotent. And he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Think about that. That is such an amazing thought for the holiday season. This one that we call Jesus, or the Isaiah, or Mary calls Emmanuel, infinitely rich, became poor. He assumed our nature, entered our sin-polluted world, took our guilt on himself, although he was sinless, bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, was wounded for our transgressions, was bruised for our iniquities. Yeah, some of you recognize that. That is Isaiah 53. All in verse 5. All of that is wrapped up in God with us. So you see, this season, I'm hoping you really will think about this truth. God is with us. Like the Apostle Paul wrote in the Scriptures, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. <clears throat> well, without an understanding of what he's of, of, of the nature of Christ and what Isaiah speaks of, we may miss the meaning of what Paul says. In Second Corinthians chapter eight verse nine. That's the immeasurable gift of Christmas. Christ is God's old son. God gave up his wealth and privilege to live as God with us, that he might save his people from their sins. And that through his poverty, they might become rich. You know, I'm not sure we can even understand that truth. I'm not sure we can comprehend that truth. That we can see it for the true richness and the value that is. But it's there. I want to give you another verse. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, the word of God says in Luke two eleven, For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? So, this is the third different way to present Christ or God with us or our Savior. Now it's Jesus Christ the Lord. Christ is an exalted title for a baby born in a humble stable, don't you think? I do. Jesus wore no crown, had no halo over his head to identify him as someone special. There were no really physical marks on his body to indicate. This is deity or sovereignty or messiahship. But when the angel announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds, he identified this baby that night by a a twofold heavenly title. Then he says, Christ the Lord. Well, in both Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, the title Christos means Christ, or it means the Anointed One. That usage in reference to the future Savior occurs as early as probably, well, probably Daniel chapter nine verse twenty-five. At least I think that's where the earliest is, uh, and that's where this Greek word is simply the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. Whenever the term was used in biblical terms, it it really meant or signified that an ultimate authority was anointing someone and placing him in a very high office. Well, when you look at Christ, the ultimate authority or anointing him was his father. God declared that Jesus is the king. He is eternal king of kings who will sit on David's throne. We see that all through the scriptures. We see it especially in Matthew and Luke. We even find it in the book of Revelation. He is the eternal king of kings who will sit on David's throne. (coughs) Excuse me. And he will reign over his kingdom forever. And we have yet to even look at the kingdom. We're going to get there in the book of Revelation. Jesus at the very end of his earthly life confirmed the truth of his kingship in this exchange or in this conversation I think he had with Pilate. Listen to what I wrote down Pilate. A discussion with Christ in John chapter 18, verse 37. The verse says, Pilate therefore said to him, Jesus, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Well, I think that is saying uh, that he is king. And the angel called Jesus, Jesus Christ the Lord. He was not using a mere human designation of Lord Instead, he used a divine designation and claimed that the child in Bethlehem is God. So, to say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he is the first and foremost God. He is the most fundamental and essential confession. You know, I speak a lot about the sovereignty of God. But nowhere is it seen more clearly that when you look at all that pertains to Christmas... Nowhere is it seemed more prevalent than in the names that God has given to his son. Like this name, Jesus Christ the Lord. When he announced uh, there would be a Savior who is Christ the Lord in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, that's what he is saying. And when Jesus was talking to Pilate, Are you a king? Yes. You say that I am a king for this cause I was born. The ultimate lawful, I think, authority in the universe is God, obviously. That's what we mean by when we say sovereignty. As uh, Dr. Steve Lawson would say, he is large and in charge. And that's not just a cute little saying. But the, when the angel announced Christ's authority as the Son of God, the Greek translators of the Old Testament and the New Testament writers used the word that refers to God. Many of you know this word. It's kurios. That word became synonymous for the name of God The angel declared Jesus to be Lord. He declared him to be the true God. Imagine this. At that very night of his birth, he is being declared to be the true God, the one who possesses all authority and sovereignty. You affirm those same truths when you address the Son of God by the name or call him Lord. What an amazing, absolute amazing thing to see that. Now, there's another verse I want to give you real quick. I don't know how far I want to try to go, but I'll at least give you this one. Isaiah 9, 6. <clears throat> the Word of God says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, in thinking about that verse, I want you to think about this. You think Isaiah had a problem when those words came out of his mouth? might seem like an unusual question to ask, but I think he did. I think he he probably couldn't really handle that. Think about this. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. How could a child be born who is the Mighty God? Surely this must have drawn confusion or question in the mind of Isaiah. How could a child be in time, in, in, in the, the space of time? How could he be a father of eternity when that is outside of time? Well, I think it's very clear that a lot of the disciples probably had, not disciples, a lot of the prophets probably had a hard time with the very things they were teaching. I would imagine it seemed even though they probably didn't use this word, but I would imagine it seemed pretty paradoxical at times. There is a child. He is a human. He is God. Man, all that in the verse, could it be? Could it be all of that? Could Jesus be all of this? Could he be the eternal God? Could he be mighty counselor? Eternal father? Prince of peace? Well, Isaiah 9-6 is one of those verses that is probably one of the more familiar verses in dealing with the birth of Christ. But I want to look at a couple of phrases real quick. Son of man, a child will be born to us. It's really referencing a son of man. It is a statement about his humanity. He began life as as any other human, which is he began life as as a baby. Isaiah doesn't say more about this here, but we know from the... New Testament that Christ experienced every temptation. He was a man in every possible way. But then it says a son will be given to us. Speaks of the Savior's pre-existent deity. A son will be given to us. By saying given, not born, Isaiah suggests that Jesus existed before his birth. How about wrapping your mind around that one? He was he existed before his birth, he was already God, the second person of the Trinity. Before he was given to us to be Savior, Philippians 2, 6 and 7, he came as the Son of God. God in human form. God in the form of a baby. To conquer sin and death forever. He is the perfect Son of God, the promise of the ages, the Holy One of uh, of Isaiah, and the desire of the nations. I mean, we could go on and on with the parallels here. The light of darkness, the only hope for our world. But then he says, the government will rest upon his shoulders. <clears throat> I often wish I could ask Isaiah, Isaiah, when you said that, what, do you, what did you mean? What do you think that meant as God told you that? Well, I think it looks beyond that, that first Christmas to a time still in prophetic future when Christ shall reign over a literal earthly geographical kingdom and encompass all that deals with the kingdom, which, which we will see later. In that day, the government of the whole world will rest on his shoulders. He will reign as sovereign over a worldwide kingdom. This is speaking of the future. It hadn't happened yet. Wonderful counselor. Messiah's kingdom will answer as the answer to the world's confusion. During his incarnation, Christ demonstrated his wisdom as counselor. We we saw it many times. The words that came out. In fact, John chapter 10 says it was so confusing to the people. They had never heard anyone speak and teach as they heard him. Never, it says, had a man spoken the way this man speaks (coughs) in John chapter 7 and also references in John chapter 10. But listen to this phrase. The king is the mighty God and his kingdom is free from all chaos. God is not a God of confusion. Boy, we've heard that, hadn't we? And don't we need that today? This world seems to be so confused. I don't care what part of the news you hear or don't hear. it's our, The whole world is going crazy. It's like everything has lost control. Everything is made that used to make a little sense makes no sense. The decisions our country is making. We need a mighty God. We need a mighty counselor. We need someone that we can call to ask for help. To give us clarity upon what's going on in our day yes we need the prince of peace in the messiah's kingdom there will be no conflicts because jesus will be the prince of peace he offers peace from god even now all who receive his grace he makes peace with god for those who surrender to him in faith he brings peace it's amazing that our world just cannot see it but we see it as believers the announcement of peace on earth was a two, two-pronged proclamation. First, it declared the arrival of the only one who ultimately can bring lasting peace on earth, which he will do when he sets up his kingdom. But more importantly, it was a proclamation that God's peace is available for men and women. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, carefully Notes, and you can look at this sometime when you spare time. Luke chapter two fourteen. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. God is pleased with the people who yield and confess and bow to him as Lord. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, not scared of him. I mean, those who fear him in the fact of being of reverencing him as Lord of Lord and King of Kings. In those who, who hope in his mercy, as Psalm 147 would point out. But when the angels proclaimed peace on earth, they were speaking primarily of a very personal, individual application of God's peace that grows out of a knowledge of who the Prince of Peace is. You see, the prophetic message of Christmas is the good news of God's answer to all confusion. So, during this Christmas season, I don't know what kind of crazy news we're going to hear that's already as bad as what we've already heard or worse than what we've already heard. But I do know this. We're not going to hear very much that makes sense in the news. We're just not going to hear it. There is going to be still mass confusion, complexities, conflicts of life. But the gift of the newborn infant, who is also the father of all eternity, he is an innocent child, yet he is a wise counselor, mighty king. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. So this Christmas, let me ask you to do something. Consider consider the wonderful promise of Christ and how he has fulfilled these rich prophecies that I have spoken of and given to you here through his life, through the saving work of Christ, through his sanctifying work and sustaining work. You know, Christmas comes once a year and I know it's been abused and in fact we're going to look at that I think next week when I look at the spirit of Christmas what in the heck is that? We're going to try to define that but this Christmas think about the name think about the discipline that it takes on ourselves to remember what it means to give in all these terms that we've looking at whether it be Isaiah 9-6 or Matthew 1 Luke 1 Luke 2 think about this Those terms that help unsaved people and family understand that we're communicating through them. We're communicating to them that Jesus saves. That Jesus is really and truly the reason for the season. Not all that we see, but he is the birth. He has the birth to prove it. He is God Emmanuel, God with us. So think about this this, this Christmas. And next week... If you'll stay with me, I'm going to share with you some things about the spirit of Christmas that I hear so much about. Well, for now, this is William Rogers speaking, just giving a little devotional thought on Christmas and the name that God has given to his son. And uh, uh, join us next week, and we'll look at, uh, again, another message on Christmas. And again, we'll come back to the book of Revelation beginning in the second week of January. Thank you so much.